So Romans chapter 9, and we're going to read from verse 1 through to verse 16. And I've got two reasons for picking this passage tonight. Uh, The first one, just as we were thinking there in the opening psalm, it's to see the fact that we have these blessings of salvation because we have been chosen by God. And that is something that ought to be filling us with thanksgiving and and with great joy as we consider that God has done that for us. Uh, the second reason is that it's absolutely vital whenever we read the story of Abraham that we know who is being spoken about whenever God speaks of Abraham's descendants. And uh, as we're going to see, the thrust of what God says, it isn't physical, it's not simply talking about those who have the same DNA as Abraham. It's talking about those who have the same faith as Abraham. And when we recognise that, then we can see ourselves in the story. And uh, you know, we're going to, to have the joy of knowing that our blessings are what is being spoken about. So Romans chapter 9, and we will read from verse 1. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it. In the Holy Spirit, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, of whom Abraham is one, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor, because they are his descendants, are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet, before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. And now we're going to turn to Galatians. So Galatians chapter 3. That is page 1169. 
Galatians chapter 3 and we're going to read from verse 6 to verse 9 and then verse 26 to verse 29. Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And then verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We're going to Genesis chapter 17. Continuing on in examining the life of Abraham, uh, we're a little bit out of, out of sync just the way things have worked out. Um, Mark, I think next week we'll be doing chapter 16. Uh, I had intended to do something else for communion, but then just looking at the passage, I thought it was well suited to uh, the communion season. And there's there's a lot in this passage as well. And I think it's worth us just spending tonight and Sabbath as well uh, looking at what it says. So Genesis chapter 17 and we are going to read the whole chapter. Actually in fact we'll just read for a little bit of context um, verse 16, the last verse of the chapter before. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Then, the start of chapter 17, when Abram was 99 years old, so 13 years later, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, 
you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with your money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son. And you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers. And I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them, as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that same day and every male in Abraham's household including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner was circumcised with him. Trying to count up um, how many sermons we've done so far in Abraham. I think we're about nine or ten or thereabouts. Um, slightly more or slightly less, depending which congregation. I can't remember which way Letter Kenny works. But I think we can all agree, as we have gone through the story, and one of the things we've, we've kept on mentioning is it is a story that is full of highs and lows. There's a lot of really, really remarkable twists and turns. Uh, We've got some really awful lows. Think of Abraham in Egypt and just this whole whole promise that God has given him seems to be hanging by a thread because Abraham 
where Abram as he was at that point has just completely taken leave of his senses. He's forgotten the promises God has given him and he has completely messed things up. And so we're going to see next week, chapter 16, this incident where really Abraham brings disgrace upon himself by sleeping with Hagar and by trying to, in a sense, hurry God along with his promises. There's a lot of real lows in the story of Abraham. And yet, the lows only really serve to make the highs all the more glorious. And we've got these wonderful moments um, just dotted throughout the narrative where God meets with Abraham and where God gives Abraham promises. And they're wonderful and they make us want to praise. Well, I suppose we could say chapter 17 is potentially the highest of all of the high points in Abraham's story. And once again, we have God meeting with him. Once again, we have God giving him promises. And yet, there seems to be something different about the way in which God does it on this occasion. Uh, Beforehand, I suppose you could say Abraham has had the general outline. You know, he's, he's no roughly speaking what God is going to do. But as time has gone on, God has given him more and more information about what those promises actually consist of. And as we come into chapter 17, a lot of the details start to get fleshed out. There's a lot more specifics, especially whenever it comes to this promise of descendants. And we see that there's going to be a son called Isaac. And that's one of the reasons why this passage is such a high point in the story of Abraham. There's a second reason though. I think this passage is particularly wonderful because it becomes very, very clear that Abraham is more than just an inspirational figure whom we can learn for. And this story is more than just an interesting episode from history. Uh, We see in this chapter what happens between Abraham and God has everlasting consequences. Uh, We see that what God says here impacts us just as much as it impacted Abram. And we see that this whole story is just as important today as on the day whenever it happened. And my main reason for saying that, it's a verse I want us to look at before we go into the details, is verse 7. And I want us to try and sense the sheer scale of the importance of what's going on here. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant. And God is spelling out here, this is not just a covenant with Abram. It is a covenant with his children, his children's children, his children's children's children, and all of his descendants after that. And as I think those two New Testament passages, Romans 9, Galatians 3, make clear, in the fullest sense of the word descendant. We're not talking here about someone who is physically descended from Abram necessarily. We're not talking about someone who necessarily shares his DNA. We're talking about someone who shares his faith in the Saviour. The same Saviour, in fact. And so... If we share in Abram's faith, 
with the Lord Jesus Christ. As we read this chapter, we're not just reading about God's covenant with Abram. We're reading about God's covenant with us. Well, chapter 17, the theme, don't think you need me to tell you this, is covenant. Uh, The word appears 14 times, if my math is correct. Um, I think it's worth pointing out at the moment. I know it's two weeks ago we looked at chapter 15. This is not a second covenant that God is making with Abram. This is God reaffirming and re-explaining the covenant that he has already made. And we thought a few weeks ago about what a covenant is. We thought that it is an agreement between two parties. In a sense, it's a bit like a contract, and yet it's better than a contract. You know, a covenant is a bond between two different parties. They are binding themselves to each other. Um, you know, the best, I suppose, everyday example I can think of would be marriage. Two people get married and it's more than just an agreement. They are binding themselves to each other. And this arrangement they are reaching is supposed to be unbreakable. Uh, They they promise that they will be together till death do us part as they make these commitments to each other. And I think that gets some of the way to what a biblical covenant between God and man is like. Here is the God who does not stand away over there aloof from his people. He's not the God who leaves his people to just get on with things himself. He is the God who binds himself to his people through covenant. Of course, in order to have a covenant, you need to have more than one person. And as we look at this chapter, I think we see quite clearly there are three different parties in this covenant. There is God There is Abram and there is Sarai. And as we can hopefully see, each section of the passage focuses on the part that one of these characters plays. Uh, You may be noticed we have some very similar wording, which is repeated three times. and That indicates that we have the start of a new section. So there's verse 4, God says, as for me. Verse 9, speaking to Abraham, he says, as for you. And then verse 15, as for Sarai. And over the course of our three services at communion, I want us to consider the role that each of these three different characters plays. So tonight we're wanting to see God's commitments in the covenant. God's commitments in the covenant. So we're thinking tonight about our covenant God. We know already that the fuel that has kept this story going the whole way along has been God's promises. And we see that right at the very start. It might be worth flicking back to chapter 12. We've got these three key promises that God gives Abram. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to give you land. And so tonight we're going to see What does God say in chapter 17 about these three key promises? So the first one is descendants. Descendants, and that's verse 4 to verse 6. This has been a recurring theme. Uh, You remember what God said in chapter 12? 
he says, I will make you into a great nation. And that's a wonderful promise. That's a really, really bold promise for God to make. And yet I think it's interesting. God doesn't actually leave it there. As we go through the chapters, God, by the language he uses and the pictures that he uses, he really ramps up this promise that he makes. So for example, we've got verse 13 and God says, your descendants will be as plenteous as the dust on the earth. You know, he's telling Abram, look down and there's how many descendants you're going to have. And then chapter 15, he tells Abram, look the other way, look up. And I'm going to make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky. So God's not satisfied just with this original seed promise that he gives Abram. He's constantly building up the hype and he's constantly showing Abram, I am going to do incredible things through you. Well now, chapter 17. We reach a climax here. We see this promise with a new boldness that we haven't actually seen before. Uh, Notice how God ramps it up. Chapter 12, I will make you into a great nation. Doesn't stop there. Chapter 17, verse 4, you will be the father of many nations. God's upping the stakes. And then, out of his mercy... In order to help Abram remember this promise that he's made, in order to burn this promise onto Abram's mind, God gives Abram a new name. See it in verse 5. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. Uh, We've seen in a number of different passages that names in this culture were a lot more important than they are today. You you don't pick a name because you like the sound of it. You pick a name based on the meaning. And you'll notice from the footnote at the bottom of the page, Abram means exalted father, whereas Abraham, very similar meaning, but it means father of many. And so God does not want Abram to forget this promise that he has given him. And it's a, it's a really merciful thing that God has done. To make it so memorable. Uh, you just imagine. Every time Sarai calls him in for his dinner. Or every time he, he meets someone and he has to introduce himself. You know, whether the name is coming into his ears. Or it's going out from his lips. He's being reminded of this promise that God has given him. I will make you the father of many nations. God is going to do something with Abraham that I'm sure must have been well beyond his wildest dreams. Even in chapter 12, 13 and 15, whenever he gave him those pictures. And God goes on, uh, verse 6, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. And kings will come from you. And very interestingly, the one one writer was just wondering: Is this harking back to the language of Genesis one? 
you've got God speaking to Adam, the father of the human race, and God says, be fruitful and increase in number. And Adam, in a sense, is carrying on the work of creation uh, by being fruitful. And yet here we have something slightly different. God not giving Abraham a command to be fruitful, but God giving Abraham a promise that he will be fruitful. A promise that where Adam failed, Abraham, by God's grace, is going to succeed. And here's God giving him a guarantee. In a sense, it's almost as if he's creating a new creation through Abraham. You know, Adam is the head, or father of the human race. Abraham is the father of this new, redeemed human race, whom God is going to save. And I think that just shines the spotlight in the promise, makes us realise how bold God is actually being as he enters into covenant with Abraham. But the fact is, God means it. These are not throwaway comments that God is making. And we see that from the fact he's so committed to what he promises that he enters into this covenant in the first place in order to guarantee this incredibly bold promise. So that's the first aspect of, of God's promises. Second aspect is blessing. Blessing. And we see this largely in verse 7 and verse 8. You know, the whole way along, God has been promising Abram he is going to bless him. But maybe the question that has been in our minds is, what does that blessing actually look like? Well, we have something of the answer in verse 7. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. To be your God. That's, that's what the true blessing is that God is speaking of. Knowing him personally. You know, as I look back over uh, the last year, or the last 14 months, I think, I can tell Ruth, um, but I have to say my life has gotten immeasurably better. There have been a lot of changes. Um, I live in a cleaner house than I did before. I eat dinners which are tastier and healthier than I did before. You know, I, I go to church and I've got a shirt on that's been ironed and is now crease-free. Awful lot of blessings in my life over the last year. And yet, all of that, and I'm sure I mean, we're all married here, we can all agree with this, all of that is outweighed by one simple fact. And that is that I am Ruth's husband and Ruth is my wife. And there are many, many blessings to being married Many, many perks. But it's the relationship that is the greatest blessing of all. And it's exactly the same with Abraham. I mean, God has blessed him financially. He's a very, very prosperous man. And yet, the biggest blessing of all is the relationship that he has with God. He has this incredible privilege that his neighbours don't have. And his friends don't have, no matter how rich they may be. But Abraham has it. 
he is in a covenant relationship with God himself. That's maybe something we can take for granted. Who are we speaking about here? You know, the God who created the whole universe with just a word. The God who has placed the stars in their galaxies and he's put the planets in their orbits. The God who has designed every single proton and neutron and electron and molecule and atom. You know, the God who always was and always will be. The God who has no beginning and no end. And yet this eternal everlasting God has entered into a covenant relationship with who? Well, with Abram. A sack of skin and bones. A man who's made mistake after mistake after mistake. Isn't that absolutely remarkable? Is that not the greatest blessing of all? It's wonderful to think of how different Abram's life is, even from the people who are around him in the land of Canaan. You know, they are running around and they're taking part in all sorts of different religious rituals and they're offering all sorts of different sacrifices and they're doing it so they can twist the arms of the gods. They're hoping that somehow they can make these gods happy and keep these gods on side. And yet, what does Abraham have? He has a personal, loving, intimate, covenant relationship with God himself. He has a relationship that isn't going to break down whenever he makes his latest mistake. And it isn't going to waver whenever he has his moments of doubt. God guarantees it. I will be your God. So two covenant promises we've seen so far. God is going to give Abram descendants. He is going to bless him. The third one, he is going to give him land. Uh, We see that again in verse 8. Here is God reaffirming the the, the promise. I'm going to give you the land of Canaan. In fact, notice it's, it's not even the land of Canaan. It's the whole land of Canaan. And seems so far-fetched, as God himself acknowledges. You're now an alien. You're a, a foreigner. You're a visitor. You're a nomad. And yet God tells him, one day it's going to belong to you and to your family. It's the promise of land. So three promises we've seen. Three things that God guarantees as a part of the covenant. And it's incredibly gracious of God to to remind Abraham of these. To take the spotlight and shine them once again onto Abraham's blessings. And that's something that's going to keep him going. Because there's a lot more twists and turns to come in the story. But we don't want to leave it there. We don't want to leave it simply with Abraham. We want to ask the question, what difference does it make to us? What's the relevance of this today? And as I've already said, this passage matters a tremendous amount to us. And the reason for that is it is not simply a covenant with Abraham. As God says in verse 7, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant. 
it's everlasting. It can't end simply because Abraham has died. It is a promise not just for him, but for his descendants. And as we saw in those New Testament readings, not simply for his physical descendants, but as Galatians makes clear, Abraham is the father of everyone who believes. Including us. Since we have faith in Christ. We are Abraham's spiritual descendants. And we, just as much as Isaac, have a share in these covenant blessings. And so to see the the significance of this, I want us to just look briefly at each of these three promises and to see something of how God fulfills his word in each of these areas. So first of all, we have descendants. God promises Abraham, I will make you the father of many nations. And that's a very easy one to see how God has kept his word. You just have to look to the Middle East and you've got the Jewish people and they're tracing their family line back to Abraham. Uh, you know, Isaac ha- or sorry, Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob has the 12 tribes of Israel. Not only that, but there's the Arab people and they trace their line back to Abraham through Ishmael. So even on that level, you can see God keeping his word. Abraham will be a father of many nations. And yet, as we know since the coming of Christ, that's just the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? The real thrust of this promise is not simply physical. It's spiritual. And Just think for a moment of all the multitudes of people who, just like Abraham, have put their trust in the Saviour. People of every language, every nation, every race, every background. Uh, I was going to be clever with alliteration and say, you know, people in Belarus and Botswana and Zimbabwe and Zambia, but don't even need to we could just point at our own fellowship people from Lithuania people from India people from all across the planet being brought into God's grace sorry being brought by God's grace into this covenant all of these people from all these different backgrounds looking to Abraham as the father of the faith I think that's something that should encourage us. I know we would love to see more. I know that sometimes we get discouraged by how little progress the gospel seems to be making. And yet here is God's incredibly bold promise. And surely we can infer from that that there is going to be more to come. God has already made Abraham fruitful and he's still making him fruitful even long after his death. Is God not going to continue To make Abraham fruitful. And since we're Abraham's children, can we not say something similar about us? Look at how God used Abraham many years after his death, before these promises came to fulfilment. Could it not be that God will use your upright witness? Or he'll use your compassion 
your consideration to one of your neighbours or he'll use the, the moral stance that you take and maybe he won't use it obviously now, maybe it's going to be years down the line but he'll make us fruitful like our father Abraham. We will bear fruit for the kingdom of Christ. So first thing we see is descendants but then the second aspect of promise we want to consider is blessing and as we considered at the heart of blessing we have this promise in verse 7 I will be your God. Abraham is nothing just a, a flawed man who can be very very rash at times can act before he thinks and can make a lot of mistakes and yet God covenants himself to this man he commits himself to Abraham in covenant and as we see here not just to Abraham but to his descendants after him including us who are we we're nothing we're just people and we make a mess just like Abraham made a mess and we break God's law and we have nothing in us to attract God to us on the contrary we have much in us that's deserving of God's judgment and yet God says to us I will be your God that's a blessing that you know we don't we don't think about often enough um, think of some of those I am sayings that we looked at with the children in our children's addresses the blessing of being united to Jesus Christ the true vine and bearing fruit because of that the blessing of knowing Jesus Christ not just as a shepherd but as my good shepherd uh, you know the blessing of having the Holy Spirit himself dwelling inside us and bearing witness to our spirits that we are children of God the blessings of coming to God in prayer and being able to say our father the blessing that nobody else in Abraham's situation had of knowing that our place in God's family doesn't depend on us twisting God's arm it depends on him making commitments to us Abraham was an incredibly blessed man and we are no less blessed and I think we're going to see that particularly vividly on Sabbath as we observe the Lord's Supper and we're going to see not just God's acceptance of us through Christ but the lengths he went to in order to accept us through Christ and I think as we sit around the Lord's table we want to be meditating on these blessings we have that we know God. So we've seen descendants, we've seen blessing. Final promise is land. I think I want to just point out that the language which is used here, I think God is using that in order to train us that we need to expand our horizons. Uh, this land, if it's part of the covenant, is an everlasting inheritance. And 
I think it's a mistake for a number of reasons to turn this promise into something that is simply about the Middle East or is simply about the Israeli state. Because this is a big covenant for one thing. And surely, ultimately, this is pointing to something better. Um, Abraham is going to have the land. Although God's already told him in chapter 15, it's not going to be in his lifetime. And so the ultimate fulfilment surely must be coming later. And I think ultimately this is pointing forward to the new heavens and the new earth. Where God's people aren't simply going to have the land of Canaan. But they're going to have this whole new creation that Christ has given to us. A whole world which we can call our inheritance. A world where there's no more pain and there's no more suffering and there's no more sin and there's no more guilty conscience. A world, ultimately, where we are going to experience these covenant blessings with more fullness than we have ever experienced them before. That's what we have in the covenant. The blessing of knowing our covenant God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as Abraham was looking forward to the Saviour, well, so we look back through history. But we're looking to the same Saviour and we are beneficiaries of the same covenant. And so as we come to, I suppose, the covenant meal on Sabbath, the Lord's Supper, we want to have a keen awareness of just how blessed we are and just what commitments God has made to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let me pray. Father, we give you thanks for the covenant. We praise you because it is an everlasting covenant. We praise you because you have not changed your mind. And we praise you because the obstacles that have cropped up along the way have not been obstacles to you. Because you are the eternal God. Father, we praise you because we can see this covenant with even more clarity than Abraham was able to see it. We praise you because we can see how it points to the Lord Jesus. We praise you because we can see how the blessings of the covenant are at their most amplified and their most wonderful whenever we look to our Saviour Jesus. We praise you, Father, because it is by the blood of our Saviour that these covenant blessings have been secured. And so, Father, as we come to the Lord's table this coming Sabbath, we pray that you would make us thankful for the blood of Christ. We pray that you would give us an awareness of the lengths which he went to in order to secure these blessings. And we pray, Father, that you would fill your children with great delight as we ponder what we have through our Saviour Jesus. Father, we ask it in his name. Amen.